Welcome to Improv Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed a whole bunch of different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode 19, Clichés and Gaps. At the end of each interview, I have a couple of stock questions that I ask most of the improvisers. My goal with them, as always, is to get a wide variety of responses. The Best Notes episode from a while ago is another example of an episode that I made based off these kind of standardized questions. The two questions that make up this episode are, first, I asked what I realize now is a fairly negative question, what cliches are you tired of in improv? What do you see too much of, basically? For the second, I asked about the gaps in improv, the things that they normally don't see. I was originally, with that second question, thinking of small bits of reality we rarely see represented in improv scenes, influenced by the fact that I noticed years ago that I rarely see things like purses or messenger bags in improv scenes, or anyone taking a hair tie off her wrist, or people taking the caps off of pens and putting them on the other end before they write. Those little, like, bits of reality that we've seen a million times, but never see in improv scenes. Somebody pulling a paper towel out of a dispenser to wipe their hands. There are some overlaps in cliches, things that get mentioned by several people in this episode. Some of those I removed, but others I kept in because I think it's kind of funny how pervasive certain weird things are, like giving pineapple as a suggestion. Human brains are weird. I'm not going to comment at all between these interviews, other than to introduce each new person, because it's already, as you have probably noticed, a fairly long episode, and I do plenty of talking in the interviews. So, with that in mind, up first is Achilles Stamatolaki. What are some cliches you're tired of seeing in improv? There is so many to choose from that I've, I'm like having a hard time. Any Anything that feels like... I mean, I guess I'm just defining a cliche, but like anything that is like an overused trope that we see a lot. Yeah, like, that's the definition of cliche. Yeah, yep. the, the, maybe this is more of an improv no-no rather than an improv cliche, but having, let's say two people are having a scene and it's more conversational at the top mm-hmm. and it, the, the conversation is interesting or funny or engaging and then somebody walks on and it's like, hey, you, you guys going to take my order or like that right. type of thing where it's like the context wasn't defined and then somebody makes a joke from it in the back line. That feels shitty to me. Because um, it's a little bit of hey, you guys should have done this. It's a little bit of the improviser trying to teach their fellow improvisers. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, maybe those are the types of cliches that I don't like the most are are the ones that there's there's some level of judgment um, Mm -hmm. from the the person doing it in the scene. Like, oh yeah, you didn't have a a location, so let me uh, define that location in the scene. Or, Or let me walk on to the scene because... You know, like there isn't a wacky waiter in, right. this, <laughs> yeah. in this scene. The um, middle name one feels a little bit like that of like somebody gets like, oh, hey, Susan. Hey, Deborah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Her name's Susan Deborah. Right, like, right. Okay, yes. Yes. Whatever. Um, I, I guess maybe for me, my a pet peeve is like just Johnson is the last name. Sure. I always note it in, in scenes. I'm like, let's use names from our life. Like, uh-huh. say, uh, who was your best friend? Who was your childhood crush? Who was your mm-hmm. teacher or something like that um, from school? Um, All three are the same. For yeah. Me. yeah. <laughs> and that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing it less and less, but swinging doors. That's not really a cliche, but that's just like a thing that doesn't feel like 
a thing that if you've never seen improv before, you sure. would get. Do they still teach swinging doors? I don't. I okay. mean, it's in the curriculum. Okay. Um, as it's in the curriculum as a, you might want to teach this, but if you don't, it's okay. Like right. that's what it's it's that's like pretty much what it says. Um, and I don't do it because I don't want my two hundred one students doing it. We just uh, fluffed at a show a couple weeks ago, and um, one of our members, like her coworkers, some of her coworkers were there and had never mm-hmm. seen improv. And one of the things they mentioned afterwards was. You guys kept running in front of scenes. Oh, why do you, it's weird that you guys kept running in front of scenes like that? Because like like I don't think they <laughs> that's, understood that's the edit. That's very funny. Yeah, yeah, like that that is something I think about a lot, especially when I'm teaching two hundred one, um, really any any class, but especially two hundred one where I know the audience that they're going to be bringing to their class show mm-hmm. is going to be. Um, people who probably have never seen long form yes. improv before. Um, so, because at most they've seen their 101 where there was a clear blackout in yes. between each scene. Yeah. Um, and you're not getting tag outs. Mm-hmm. Um, walk ons are very easy to translate in your head. It's like, oh, somebody's walking into this yeah. um, scene. But in 201, yeah, where there are tag outs, there are edits, there's an opening that mm-hmm. you're, you're getting the ideas from. The thing that I'm always keeping an eye towards is like, would this make sense to somebody who's never seen improv right. uh, before? Because I do also remember like the first improv show was Ascat that I saw. And I remember just being jarred a little bit by like, oh, that person just tapped that person on the shoulder. Now that person's gone. And now, oh, wait, is this a new scene? Oh, okay, it's a new scene. It does take like a second to be like, we're so used to it. It's such a normal thing that also the speed of the tag-ins is so normal to us. But like for somebody who's never seen improv, I'm sure that must be so like, what? Uh, It's like a baby playing peekaboo for the first time. Of like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, oh, they're still there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this is okay. Like the, the audience hasn't learned object to permanence yet mm-hmm. <laughs> in a sense like that's why like especially in weekend shows like the first half is so like there's a hook you know right. like it's so like oh this is what improv is um, yeah. you know you might have tag outs and I, you definitely will have tag outs but at least the audience is able to see like oh you interviewed that person and then now you're doing scenes of that person's uh, interview I see this is what improv is and in the second half you can be more indulgent yeah, yeah but in the first half they have that strong rope to hold on to of oh this is all about my crazy coworker Bill that we all heard that whole uh, interview about yeah so that when there are tag outs and walk-ons and all that stuff they know it's still about that thing the other thing I think about too with like somebody who's never seen improv before is anything that's meta mm-hmm. improv where sometimes the game of the scene can be that it's like this meta thing like I remember like in an ASCAT show the, the game of it was basically uh, we're just gonna tag in and follow Connor Ratliff's like actual act. like we were gonna just mention hey weren't you in this commercial yeah. and then he would say something about it where the game of the scene is so essential like the meta-ness of yeah. the game is so essential to the scene that it, it makes complete sense where it is about this improviser rather than this character mm-hmm. uh, in the scene. But that's another thing that I feel like, yeah, if you've never seen improv before and you've never seen the people on stage before, it's, yeah. it's like, what, what, like, why, why are they kind of winking at each other? It, it's such a turnoff, right. especially if, like, yeah, I would just imagine like if I were watching this, I'd be like, I would hate it. Like they're, they're just, they're just talking to each other in a way that like, I'm not in on the joke, yeah. I think is the, the yeah the result is like, I want to be on, in on the joke and I'm not in on the joke if they're just um, doing this meta stuff. Right. What are some gaps in improv? What are some things that you wish you saw more of in improv? 
something that's hard to teach too is this idea of improv scenes should be affecting to the audience in some mm -hmm. way, meaning there's something beyond just the game or the, the, the funniness of the improv scene. I remember seeing a show The Shubs did where all their scenes were like part of Reese's minds. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, all the scenes were like, not sad, but like they were all emotionally deep like they were yeah. they were like about a daughter coming back to her mom after like being abandoned or something like that there was like uh, this couple that was fighting and then they weren't fighting anymore or something like that like these things that are less comedic improv scenes and mm -hmm. more these are improvised scenes that are hilarious but also have this kind of deeper level yeah. to it um, it might have just been like, man, these guys are really good actors and yeah. like, they, they really sold it. They really committed to what they were doing. But it, it is a very hard thing to teach, a very hard thing to manufacture, especially in the structure of a Herald or the structure of any long form uh, improv show. I also think that the pull of being funny is so strong yeah. that often you don't find that unless you have an entire group that is like, we're going to do this type of thing. Right. Yeah. That was Achilles. Now here is Will Hines. What are some cliches that you feel like you see a lot in improv? J names. Mm -hmm. All names are J names. I'll tell my class no J names. Uh, too much high-fiving. Everybody high-fives in improv scenes and it looks dumb. Blaming Craigslist. You didn't look like that on your dating profile. Yeah. Um, I'm never going to order from Craigslist or the internet again right. because of this crazy situation I've gotten into. I feel like like that's where cliches come up especially a lot. Is the is it an out for how we can just explain away the weirdness? Yeah, it's a bummer. Man, you were crazy. We, we Think about all the crazy stuff we did at that party last night. Is anybody else coming to this party? I love blank is another one of that. I love pizza. Mm -hmm. Something that... I don't only get said in improv. Honey, which tie should I wear? Yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't. I let them go. Like in class, I'm like, it might be. Yeah, it might be the first time this person's done sure. it. Sure, they don't know that this is a weird, mundane cliche that happens a lot. You know, there's pop culture references du jour that I get yeah. tired of temporarily. Sure, um, but that also the audience expects them. So yeah. Uh, priest being child molesters is a cliche I'm actually tired of. Yeah. Every priest doesn't have to be a child molester. Right. They're uh, not all fucking kids, I assume. I mean, if it wasn't part of the scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. The entrance of a priest does not mean it has to be something like that. What are some gaps in improv? What are some things that you feel like you don't see enough in improv scenes or you wish you saw more of? Well, at the UCB, uh, I, I really miss just good full characters from the get-go. Just mm -hmm. people embodying a character. People who can do good voices, like Thomas Middleditch, tend to do a lot of characters because it lets them use their cool voices. Yeah. And if they're good actors and comedians like Thomas, it leads to good stuff. But I kind of wish other other people leaned into it more. I'm delighted by playing against type. It's 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 less important than other skills we teach, but I wish we were good enough that it just happened more. Yeah. Great environment work from everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody working on a lobster boat. Everybody like hauling luggage into the belly of a plane. Right. It's something the swarm used to do a lot as a weird go-to for them, and only they would do it. And I kind of I wish teams had their own weird specific scenarios they went to a lot. That yeah. Were almost. I wish like old timey stuff. Okay. I wish there were more grifters. I wish there were more old timey. Yeah. Like mischievous, obviously grifting grifters. Yeah. There's not enough of that. Yeah. Where are the grifters? Where's the shoeshine boys? Where's yeah. the odd job? people yeah your odd job men little kids playing the little hoop game yeah the let's have some of that stick we're just running numbers for the mob yeah i don't need paper boys i've seen a lot of extra extras 
But everybody else selling glass. How about somebody selling Ooh, glass? Yeah, that's door a good door? one. Yeah. I want more. I want all of them to look like a John Steinbeck novel. Yes. Somebody yeah. selling the first Cadillac that the town's ever seen. Yeah. Um, that that kind of era. Like yeah, snake oil salesman type. Sure. We've got this. <laughs> we've got this new tonic. I never get tired of people taking their hat off when they come to the door to tell you some bad news. Like a police officer taking his hat off when he comes <laughs> yeah. to the door to like because he's got bad news for the family. I never. I've never gotten tired of it. It's very theatrical and gives that little like breath and gives the the Ma'am, audience time to. My name's Sergeant So and So from whatever precinct, and uh, it's got some bad news. Right. I'd be a long time before I get tired of that. <laughs> that was Will Hines. Now here is Jenny Saint Angelo. What are some cliches that you are tired of seeing in improv? People going into nature to get away from the city or to save their marriage, I find crazy. Yeah. It's it's so crazy. The the other crazy because you don't you don't believe it as a base reality type thing? Um or crazy just because why are we doing this so much? Uh a little bit of both. Because like we because one saving a marriage is such a weighted that's mm. a high stakes scenario and it's like you're gonna fucking roast marshmallows okay. to save your marriage that better be the most important marshmallow i've ever seen but it's not it's treated as like oh i've said something mm-hmm. that you know but i haven't given it the weight right i would rather i would rather you just be like i love marshmallows if you want to roast marshmallows be because you love a gooey, ooey, chewy, yummy snack. Don't ha- like. Don't put this false sense. That's so. That I think is the thing. It's not so much about saving the marriage, but it's like if you're gonna make that choice, make the full choice. I'd love to watch a marriage fall apart because of a s'more. That yeah. would be so funny. But that's not what happens, right? It becomes like, oh, we're arguing because our marriage is on the rocks. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, okay, maybe try not to argue. <laughs> The other thing that I that I get tired of that I understand it's not like if it doesn't mm-hmm. frustrate me but I'm like ugh is someone will start out and they'll be like a hippy dippy person for some reason right I just love I just love the flowers the flowers are my friends right it's like cool great and then they I think what happens is people go well if this is true what else is true and it's like okay people who love flowers I also love crystals and I talk to the animals mm-hmm. and it becomes vaguely crazy and maybe like hippy dippy and it's like why why can't we make it so specific right. like what about the flowers do you love so much right of a blooming beauty for just a small amount of time, right? The vastness of humanity, the they're, hardship, you know? They're like playing rhymes with a character rather than really, what does this character believe? Yes. And just right. assuming all of these characters like this are uh, basically the same. Right, exactly. And you can see it on the other side too with a lot of male, like father-son scenes. Mm-hmm. I hear be a man as an explanation for frustration so much. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like, I hate that as a justification. Yeah. One, it doesn't make sense because sometimes like we haven't established the gender yet. And also like, like I, like this team that I coached that I really love did a scene where it was, they were doing a three-hander where they were like sitting on a porch, big storm was coming in and they were feeling the storm. And it became clear that the grandfather was immortal. The father was uh, had super strength and the the son the, yeah the son was like very very small mm-hmm. and wanted to be big <laughs> and they had all these really interesting father son dynamics between the three characters but at some point it all like all of that specificity got lost to because they were also playing kind of bumpkiny mm-hmm. porch people right and it was like oh well we also love meat and you better be a man and it's like wait a minute wait a minute you had created such a vibrant mm-hmm 
these are definitely superheroes, right? Or gods or some kind. And like, there's this like usurped of power and all of this stuff. And you created all of these beautiful specifics, but because it sounded like something else, you chose the more broad definition. And that, that I get tired of like playing Republicans as this broad or Democrats as this broad women as broad men as broad. Like the other version of that for men that often comes up is, uh, or not, I, that comes up and annoys me a lot is anybody who in the armed forces loving killing or loving battle. And maybe it's because like I grew up in the army and both of my grandfather on one side fought in Korean Vietnam. My grandfather on the other side fought in, was in the Marines in world war two. And it's like, they both hated violence right? because they had killed people and seen death. And it's, it's such a strange, like, Oh, we're playing it. Like we've seen in a movie about this thing rather than, no, this is a real person who has this job or or whatever has this set of beliefs, but that set of beliefs isn't always the same monolithically throughout the entire type of person that is. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I find that sort of broad strokes thing really strange, especially because like, we're all so weird. Mm -hmm. We're all so weird. And we all, think we're so special and then we get on stage and we play the most boring version of a character right it's like why or like broad you know like they might be like i'm a big tap dancer right and it's like okay cool like what's up yeah but they but it sometimes doesn't go beyond that and then like although frankly i see this less and less and maybe it's because the teams that i coach i coach consistently and if and if i was like with someone who did this a lot it wouldn't happen a lot but like so the sexism stuff has changed. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not seeing a lot of scenes with like harpy wives and girlfriends or like the bitch or this, mm-hmm. that, or the other. And I'm sure that that is still happening. Uh, and maybe it's cause I'm like a female coach. People are afraid to do that or, or something. I don't know. Cause I would call it out. It may also be weeded out earlier now that it's like, yes. because that's an ongoing conversation that we're finally ha- yes. having, we can talk about it more in one-on-one of like, like in the way that a couple of years before it was like, people just started saying like, yeah, yeah, gay is not a game. Right. We can right. stop that after one Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm not, I don't see that in my teams as much anymore, which I really, really love. I really appreciate not having to be like, okay, so like, just because she's a woman doesn't mean she's a bitch. And like, what does that, that even mean? That weariness is exactly, anytime you have to have that conversation with a team where it's like, ah. Oh. Okay, let's have the racism talk. So I know you were just doing the moment and you did this and this, but blah, 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 blah. This is what it looked like to an audience, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I remember, uh, I hope they don't feel bad about, I won't say who it is. They'll know who it is. But I was coaching this team and there were men and women on the team. Mm -hmm. And then one time it was just the guys and they were doing a mono scene where they were three men at a mall and they decided that they loved the mannequins more than their girlfriends because the mannequins would do what they said and they could make and they could have like many mannequins and they could like put them in different positions and all this stuff and I paused the scene I was like okay how are you guys feeling right now uh hoping that they'd be like bad get us out of here yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were like pretty good I was like oh, okay okay and so like we let the scene continue and I like by the end I just had my head in my hands and I was like we have to talk about this right right? like that was hard to watch as a woman to watch you compare a full-blooded human woman and prefer a plastic statue without at any point recognizing as a I as a terrible character am doing this right and they did try to be like I wanted to I wanted to play into the like shittiness of that behavior and I'm like yeah yeah 
okay, well, you have to be very responsible in how you do it. It can't be vague. And like, if you're going to choose to play really shitty, even if you accidentally stumble into Mm -hmm. a bad character like that, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think you got to own it in a way that's like, yeah, because last time I talked to my girlfriend, she said she wasn't my girlfriend anymore. So now I don't want to talk to any women, right? Right. Like make it super clear that you are like a sad sack Joe Schmo, whatever, who's, you know, deeply lonely. And it's like, no women want me. Therefore I choose these mannequins, right? Like you can play that way. But yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. And they, of course, they felt horrible because they were not intentionally trying to exactly. do this stuff. Like, and that's the other thing is practice has to be a safe space. Like, you have to be able to make mistakes. You also have to be brave enough to talk about the mistakes. You know, I remember like coaching a team and there was one woman on the team. I didn't coach them very often. Uh, and they would constantly make her be the woman, right? Mm-hmm. The mom, the girlfriend, this, that, the other. And I would call it out be like, okay, cool. Once again, you made this person be this, that, blah, blah. And they didn't have me coach very often. And then I ran into her a while later and she's like, you were the only coach that called that out. And I really appreciated it because I thought I was being crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of those constant conversations we have to keep having of like, how do we recognize that? Like, I don't, maybe, maybe the male coaches don't see it because mm-hmm. they have been the men in the team and they, they get to play all the, the genders yeah. and the things and the ages. And, you know, for me, like I look at it and I go, Oh God, I've been, I've been there in yeah. like, class or whatever. People being forced to play their own gender is absolutely one of just, uh, I think it was maybe mayor, Matt Mayer on either on Greg or one of the other ones where it was like, he would deliberately play if it would, there was ever a call for a bomb. If it was like him and Lauren Adams on the back, he would like, I'm doing it. Yeah. Just to like really make it clear, like we are breaking that. I mean, I can't tell you the feeling when someone's like, well, my girlfriend, I'm like, just like, I don't know. I feel like all the women are like, yeah. Which one of us is it going to be? <laughs> you know, I love when men play women and when women play men. And I love that. I love it when almost nothing changes. Yes. It is one of my favorites. I, I don't like it when women play men and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just a big dude. Yeah. It's like you don't have to play me as a man. Okay. Like, I get it. Yeah. I'm like, and like that, we but understand not every man Curtis is, like is that. so macho yeah. and like can't stop swinging his balls everywhere. Yeah. Like, we get it. Yeah. Um, but there's other men. There's other Some men. Some of them are way less manly than I yes, am. Yes. And that's true. And that is, um, that's a problem we all have to deal with. Uh, I love when people play that switch of gender barely changing it and the rest of the team knows instantly yes i think those are like the two things that i love to see because it shows both of that oh you as an improviser are playing this fucking top of your intelligence yes and you as a team are so in tune with each other that you know okay bill's playing mom (sighs) okay mom Thank you. Yes. It was a great gift. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. Bill, are you talking about Bill DePiero? Yeah. He's so good at playing women. Yeah. I really like watching him play women because he does he does change. There's like a yeah. there's like a small affect, but it's so it just feels like it comes from like a true place and I, I love watching when when performers do that so well. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. When when men play women and they're like, <laughs> right? Like that drives me. Yeah. Bananas. Uh, what are some gaps in improv? What are some things that you wish you saw more of? In Ooh, improv? the physical stuff. I really wish I saw more of. I wish there was more clown or telling, like that the game is physical. Mm-hmm. That it, you know, the way you you're sitting in the seat is as much part of the game as what you're saying or how you're saying it. 
uh, I, I think that we I think we forget neck down comedy a lot, and I would and I I love the physical stuff, and for me that's how I like whether it's through traditional acting or through improv, physicality for me is the mm-hmm. fastest way in, and I wish that that was part of the curriculum a little more of like okay cool not only like is the, if this is true what else is true about like you know the police station that looks like a castle right, but also like. How does a police officer carry themselves in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. How do they get how do they get into their police car? Like yeah. is it a horse? How do they get on the horse, right? How do they carry themselves through the room? That can be just as much part of proving the truth of it. And oftentimes, I think that physicality can be used as your justification better than a than a logical explanation. If you if you walk into a scene and you're afraid of a bee, mm-hmm. And you just really are afraid of the bee. I'm less worried about why are they? Why do they keep saying they're afraid of the bee? Because it's it's close enough to a normal human behavior. It is a normal human behavior. Yeah, I'm afraid of bees. That we understand it, and but we feel it so right away that it's like, okay, great, just do it. Right. Yeah. It's it's almost like through the re- the repetition, you prove it. It's when it's when people are like, oh, I'm afraid of that thing, and then they stop. Mm-hmm. That we go, oh, wait a minute, something's unusual here. We need to explore the why, you know. But if it's like, oh, oh gosh, oh, I, c- I couldn't have any of that ice cream. Oh no, it, it might drip on me. I really can't get dirty. Oh, oh, j- just put me in the corner, right? right. And, and, and if it comes from a physical place of like, oh, fear and like this stuff, it's like, oh, she doesn't want to get dirty and she's yeah. just taking it to an extreme. That's so simple and stupid and, and not particularly funny, right? Mm-hmm. The joke isn't in the not wanting to get dirty, it's in how she wants to avoid the dirt yeah right and i think that's an aspect of the of comedy that we sometimes forget it's like the neck down stuff can yeah. be really helpful in solidifying the truth of the moment right thinking about it now it feels like when you watch an overdubbed movie and the dub is just kind of like very flat it's like oh you guys are saying the right things but i'm not hearing that right tone right. of oh you're very scared of godzilla yeah it just seems like oh no look it's godzilla right exactly yeah yeah, it's got. I think it's a holistic experience. I think comedy's yeah. holistic. I think it's why you see like a pushback against the detached irony mm-hmm. comedy that I think is like finally going away. Like I'm tired of seeing people say stuff. I want to see people do stuff. I want to see the, how they move in that world. I want to see how they interact with other people and like what does seduction look like if you're like a little bird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's crazy. But I want to see what that feels like because I, I, yeah, I don't know. So that's. I think that's a gap that we could deal with more. That was Jenny. Now here's Kevin Mullaney. What are some gaps in improv? What are some things that you wish you saw more of? When I returned to Chicago, I took a series of classes with a woman, uh, Paola Coletta, and she studied at Lecoq in Paris. And she was, you know, that's a two-year program. And usually they take one student and, and every year and have uh, teach them to be a teacher. So she was one of the, you know, 40 or so people over the years that was taught how to teach Lecoq style theater. Anyway, so she was in Chicago, she was teaching these classes, and we're learning how to be much more physically present. That was one of the things that she was teaching us, was uh, how to, even just in the way you were just standing on stage, be much more interesting to look at. Not in a showy way, but actually in the opposite. Uh, the, the sort of power of being still, the power of, of being focused, uh, and so on. 
And what she would describe would be this sort of how she would go see plays in Chicago. And it's certainly true of improv as well, where the people on stage are just kind of like, they're all over the place. They don't inhabit their body in any meaningful way. They just kind of, they're, they're always kind of moving. She would describe them as noodle bodies. And once I started to think about that, I couldn't not see it. It was one of those things I couldn't unsee anymore. And just the way that people are kind of like, drifting around stage the whole time and they they can't they don't get into a fixed position they have no sense of of stage picture they have no sense of the power of simply you know creating a stage picture and living in that stage picture for a while or the power of of having a um, a very specific body position or whatever for a for a show so for one thing you'll you might notice like if you if there's any improvisers you know who have a dance background especially mm-hmm. They look totally different on stage, and you wouldn't notice it right away. Uh, not on a, you might not notice it right away, but there's something about dancers that are much more present and much more like, yeah, they belong on that stage. I, I don't know what they're doing. They're just standing there pretending to eat an apple, and it's compelling. I don't know why. And it's because they have a sense of, of their body and a sense of how to just be on stage, and when they do move, it's much more deliberate and meaningful. So, yeah, I think that it made me think a lot about, like, how, how much improvisers could benefit from cross-training and learning how to be a good theater, theater artist, not just a good improviser. That was Kevin Mullaney. Now, Kevin Hines. What are some cliches that you're tired of seeing in improv? Uh, blank battle. Uh, you know, uh, it's like, yeah. uh, we're having a clown, a clown off. Yeah. I guess maybe a blank off. That's what I more mean. Ugh, I hate that. Um, it's a way of just like, hey, we started to have a conflict, and I guess we're turning this conflict into this yeah, thing that doesn't it's exist. Like, it's really two people did a thing. You know, it's like, I came out, I'm selling hot dogs, you're selling hot dogs. Hot dogs sell off! Yeah. It's like, no, I just matched him because we're doing improv. I, I really, most of my cliches come from, well, there's this limitation because it's improv, and now that's become the game. Yeah. I really, and... Trust me, come do two curfew shows in a row or a hot for two hot for teacher shows in a row. This move will happen, and I'll go along with it. But the move of, we don't have enough classrooms, chairs for all the kids in this classroom. Mm-hmm. Billy doesn't even get a chair. Audience loves it. Of course it makes sense. It's funny. If it takes over the scene, I hate it. I hate it if it takes over the scene. If we move past it, I can live with it. Uh, I don't even love it being said. I will never say that move. Yeah. If someone says it about me, I go with it because I'm a supportive player. But I just it's like, we only have four chairs on stage. Yeah. I could have gone backstage. You got another chair if I'm at Chelsea. I couldn't if I'm at Lloyd Knight or uh, at the uh, East the Village. There's no other chairs. Let me just stand here. So, uh, same thing of like, you're the only person who came to my party. Mm-hmm. Or uh, is anyone else invited to this party? Either variation of that where it becomes yeah. creepy two-person party scene, whether you're a loser or whether you just invited me to be a creep. I don't like it. The whole party's there. Yeah. We're just watching these two people. It's a funny scene. The idea of someone being invited over, showing up, there's no one there. That's a funny idea. It's just, you're not making that choice because it's funny. You're making that choice because it's a two-person scene. And it's a two-person scene because most of what you do is two-person scenes. And I don't like that. Any limitations because of chairs or number of people, I don't like. Once in a while, I'll love it. But most of the time, I don't. What are some gaps in improv? What are some things that you don't see in scenes that you wish you saw more of? Just purely where the fun... It's just the physical component. And this is something I can't do. But uh, uh, the scenes that stand out to me are scenes with the least amount of talking. Uh, I remember a Sylvia Ozil's Liza Skinner scene. I think the first beat had like two lines of dialogue in a creep show. 
And, I lo- and the second scene had normal amount of dialogue, and I was so disappointed in the second scene. It was probably funny, but I loved that first scene. I was like, oh, they barely talked, and I laughed all the way through it. Um, one of my favorite scenes I ever saw, oh, and Burke do. I think this was on Corndog All Right. Um, may have been a different, I think it was Corndog All Right. I think that was his team before Respecto. He was on stage, and this guy, Victor Varnado, ran into the scene out of breath, and I was like, sit down, sit down. And tried to help him into a chair, and Victor Varnado sort of missed the chair. And then they spent two minutes of just trying to get Victor into this chair. And the only dialogue in the scene was occasionally you heard Owen Burke go, okay, all right, almost, all right. It was like just that. And not even yeah. as fast as what I was just doing. It was pretty spaced. That was mostly Victor panting and Owen grunting over like this dead weight of trying to get him into a chair. And when he got him in the chair, they swept the scene. Yeah. It was so... And the second beat wasn't as good. They did just, you know, repeat the idea of not getting to what... Yeah. Uh, it was a little less surprising. But that first scene was mind-blowingly good. And I couldn't believe it was like... Like, you improvise a physical comedy thing. Mm-hmm. It's so I- impressive. But anything like that. And it's great stage pictures, I think, is also a thing like that. I think it's harder at the East Village Theater. I don't think it's impossible. Some people do. But you see great stage pictures, and it's great. Everyone piled into a car, and you really live in that car that can just be a cool thing i was thinking in some ways it's almost easier because you have closer to a television screen at east yeah. village you know exactly what the audience is seeing whereas yeah i think at the, chelsea the, I, there's people at my back at all it's time. easy to ignore the back line at chelsea mm-hmm. in the east village the back line is so much almost in the scene that they can break the stage picture a little bit just by not being in the scene yeah so it's tough to have a cool stage picture with four people and there's some things you just can't spread out and really mm-hmm. do. I've done classes where we focus all on stage picture stuff where like you're talking to the audience as if they're the cashier and the cashier is also facing the audience right. and they're just on the opposite sides of the stage and it's almost like it's a split screen yeah. focused on just their faces like a Rushmore or a Wes Anderson movie Yeah, uh, and that's really cool. That's a cool stage picture. That's you know, if you commit to it, it works. Mm-hmm. If you don't, it doesn't. I love that stuff. You don't see enough of it. Anytime this space plays into a scene, it's very cool. I saw a Women and Men show where, I don't remember the, the individuals in it, but it was like, I'm changing this. This is not exactly what it was, but it was like three arcs. And it was trying to uh, convince, my arc will get you to safety or something like that. Oh, okay. Well, it was cruise ships, I think. I think it was cruise ships. Come to this cruise ship. Here's yeah. what happens on it. First one's like a normal cruise ship. Second one is clearly terrible. And the third one is terrible in a different way. But the cruise ships were set just off stage, mm-hmm. like in the Vons. Oh, and the okay. other one was behind the pole. So you couldn't really see them from the audience that well. You just saw the two people on stage talking. You'd see like the silhouette of these characters. And that was a cool stage picture. Yeah. And when they brought it back for the second beat, you sort of were just happy to see that stage picture right. again. That stuff's cool. And it's so great when that stuff comes back in connections. Because you know it before it even... You don't even need the lines. You just see it. I think that stuff is great. And I don't know. Um, I've been doing improv since 2000 and on a team... Uh, of people that have been doing it for a while. So a lot of our scenes are just two people in chairs talking. Mm-hmm. And they're great. And, you know, if you're funny, you're funny. But it's exciting when it's not that. <laughs> that was Kevin Hines. Now here's Bill DePiero. What are some cliches that you are tired of seeing in improv? Um, anything with chairs. Like where... Not enough chairs. Yeah. Remember there's a point where people would just, like, knock over chairs, too. Just be like, I'm angry. And they'll just, like, hit the one thing that's on stage. Uh, ever since mom died... Yep. As a justification, or I don't know. It's a classic, like, why is this person desperate or sad? Oh, 
mom died or divorce. Yeah, it's like half-hearted genre play. Yeah. You always, you always statements. Because it feels like a game. When we say you always do this, it feels like, hey, I'm giving you this thing. Aren't you happy for this gift I'm giving you? I gave you a game. Yeah. But it always, uh, always feels like this empty behavior of, Great, they just told me you always scream at Santa Claus in the mall. Yeah. Now I gotta do this. Uh, now I gotta explain why I do this. Now we, it's still not a, it doesn't necessarily feel fun. And that's sort of like the accusation except. It's a good practice, like if there's a problem, assume responsibility for it. Yeah. But it can often feel like just sort of a combative scene. And I think that's maybe something that like, can feel a little tired after a while i can't watch a lot of scenes like that yeah i can see someone get frustrated with somebody because i mean that's often what comedy is but a lot of things is based off of people's assumptions or like preconceived notions of like a doctor is more important than the president right whatever right i guess i literally this week saw someone like who was you know collecting cans for their job Mm -hmm. and the thing is we're like to make ends meet yeah not as like a i was like nobody does scenes like that i haven't seen anyone try and do that maybe because that's not anyone's immediate experience but no one's a doctor yeah exactly (laughs) i don't know i'm not sure if that's distasteful there's like a certain like middle class middle high class that people feel comfortable doing yeah like but we could be collecting cans and that's just if we are doing that and that's not the unusual thing that's just our reality great yeah let's do that i guess that is like identifying with more people or literally having people from a wider range of backgrounds doing this i mean improv is just kind of like a little bit of a bougie art form just because you have to have (laughs) however much however many thousands of dollars to go through the program in order to do it and probably have a college education in order to uh or at least acting training right yeah i've never seen anybody like push a Pull or push or pull a pallet jack on stage, <laughs> which is something that like I did for a while. Yeah. And but nobody does those little things of what are those other jobs other than eh, tape 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 on a keyboard, move the mouse, right? But like right. we've done other jobs. I assume other people have done other jobs as well. I guess that is it. Repeated base realities. I want to see mm-hmm. something newer or yeah. maybe something a little more surprising. That was Bill DePiero. Now here's Molly Thomas. What are some of the cliches you are tired of seeing in improv? Uh, I don't know if it's a cliche, but I hate seeing somebody playing a janitor. And that's like something that's funny about this scene. Right. Fuck you, dude. Like, that's not a funny thing. That's a job. Yeah. I was a janitor for about a year, less than a year in college. Like, I was a night janitor. Like, I worked my way partway through college. And, like, sometimes people, and, like, I worked, like, a bunch of, like, stockroom jobs after that. And sometimes people will play, like, dumb janitors or, or, like, stockroom guys or, like, dock workers. And I'm like, no. I was a baker for three years. Like, these are fucking human beings, dude. Like, Like, don't make everyone just, like, the okay right i mean that's an exaggeration but no but it's an accurate exaggeration (laughs) right so i don't need to see that anymore i do like doing everybody get in here group games although obviously it's not my favorite thing so i i like in group games like if you do one of those in Mm -hmm. a show please do not do a second one sure do something more inventive and yeah. surprising. Like, really take a risk in a group game. I guess yeah. that's the thing, is when a group game is really playing it safe, take a bigger swing because you've got all of those beats that yeah. you want to really hit the premise. So in a yeah. group game, let it 
fly a little bit. It is like it's a it's a palate cleanser. It's a it's almost a stand and stretch moment of like, hey, we did all this stuff. Let's loosen up a little bit, right? Before we get back to the next three beats. Yeah, that's all I'm thinking of right now. What are your my big cliches? I don't know if this is like a yeah, this isn't really a cliche, but like typing, like bad object work. This isn't a oh, cliche, yeah. but like typing where it's just like I'm just uh, like flapping yeah. my wrists against like a with 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 wiggly fingers, right? Right, like or a, or still wrists and fingers just going crazy, yeah. like two crazy spiders at the end <laughs> yes. of your arms, which seems strange because like I bet. We right now could type anything on an imaginary keyboard and know exactly where every letter is. Even if you're not a good typist, right? right? Hello, how are you? And I think anybody listening to this could do the same thing, but like, right. just do that. Right. Like type, you've typed before. Right. Yeah, or even if you're not thinking about what you're typing, just go slower and then faster and then go slower again. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's how we type. It's we like- think about what we're typing as we're typing it. You know what? I don't know if this is like a huge cliche, but I feel like people, it's an equivalent of people like watching scenes. So it's like either sitting in a car and not really doing the car. That's again, like an object work thing. Or it's like bird watching type things. Where it's like, there are a just like, lot of bird watching scenes so, now that you say yeah. it. And it's just like a way of like, hey, what's that thing over there? Right. Rather than like, no, like look at the other person, connect with that person. Right. That was Molly. Up next is Morgan Phillips. What are some cliches that you see a lot in improv? One thing that I've been thinking about lately, (laughs) there's a particular kind of group scene that I think gets done, I think at UCB. It might be done other places too. Um, It's a presentational uh, group scene where it's sort of like a pitch man coming out and there is sort of a, a just sort of agreed upon thing that will sort of not necessarily tag out, but each team member will take a turn, like kind of taking over the pitch man role. And it, I don't know what that is. It just doesn't look like a real, like a thing to me. Right. The way that any other scene looks like, oh, that's a business meeting or that's two people in the park. To me, that doesn't look like a commercial. Because it is very specifically one person talking to the audience who then gets tagged out and replaced with somebody else playing that same kind of pick, Yeah, picking up that same line of, yeah. of like selling something or pitching something. And I think it's just, we've done so many of those scenes that we've like, oh yeah, that is a, that's a thing. Right. That's not a, there's nothing unusual about that. Like we're going to keep doing that and maybe find something unusual about it. But for me already, it's like, I, it's just something I've been noticing lately. It's like, I don't, I think it's just sort of, we've fallen into this sort yeah. of, oh yeah, that's a thing. And I wonder how that looks to audiences who haven't seen a lot of improv. Like, is it, because it feels to me that it's almost like as, as abstract as like an opening. Right. I think that there are group games where it's abstract, but this doesn't feel like one of those. It mm-hmm. feels like one where we think it's not abstract, but it actually is pretty abstract to just have a series of people out there like trying to sell something to the audience, like yeah. a late, late night infomercial or that sort of thing. Because the closest analog I can think of when we would see that would be like a medicine show from the 1900s. Like that is sure. such a strange thing of one person talking directly to them, trying to pitch. Because even in an infomercial, it's I'm talking to this person. And right. it's these two people like, I'm so tired of this, Bob. How can you help me? Well, Cheryl, this does. 
it's still like it's a fake interaction, but it's still that. Yeah. One little thing that I like to remind people there are other ways of doing. I call it the cut, cut, cut move, where usually in a group scene, but sometimes in a two-person scene, that is getting a little crazy. Uh, someone from the back line will, will make the move of, okay, cut, 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 cut. Uh, and as the director of, the, it turns out this is a movie or a commercial or a TV show or whatever, and the director comes in to remind them that they can't be as crazy as they're being. This is crazy. And I understand the motivation for doing that, but I'd like to remind people that you can do a cut, cut, cut. Okay, that is perfect. That's exactly what I want. That way that you were being crazy right. in this way, that's exactly what we're going for. And it serves the same purpose of calling out the, the unusual thing, but without that sort of sense of, I, as the improviser, am judging you and, in fact, need to, like, call a halt to your scene right. to start to, to call attention to how weird you're being. Because our purpose when we find an unusual thing is to make more of that, that yeah. thing happen usually. So uh, I like that sort of positive spin on that. Like Same thing if you do like a, a tag out to the manager like reminding the employee like normally it's like you can't scream in yeah. employees uh, in, in customers faces John. Like that's, that's not a thing we do here. Instead tagging like I've been watching on the floor. I love how you're getting into the customers' faces and just screaming at them. They need to be reminded, that, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. So it's almost like, yeah. Again, I don't know if that's entirely a cliche, but something that happens a lot. It definitely like yeah. a knee-jerk reaction. Yes. Like, oh, I see something that's weird. I'm going to call it out in that negative yeah. way. I think that cliches are sort of uh, kind of what I've been working with now a lot uh, in coaching when I see people do just the sort of most basic idea of what the base reality is. There's a sort of cliche of a job interview or a cliche of a, someone getting a bank loan, a cliche of a breakup. And it's not so much that they're a cliche, it's just it's the most generic version of that thing. Right. Whereas, say it's like a, say it's a bank loan, there's 10 million different versions of that interaction. I myself have never gone yeah. into a bank and tried to get a bank loan, but just based on my, just having seen it in TV and movies and being able to intuit like what a human being in either of those positions might feel. Like I, there's, there's just so many versions of that. So maybe not so much cliche things as not bothering to go beyond the surface level. Right. And then you're, you yes and, but you're, you tend to have sort of the same games over and over again because it's dealing with that sort of archetypical behavior as opposed to like specific human beings. And when you're a specific human being, if you're basing that specificity off your own life experience and interpretation of stuff, then it'll be games that like only you can do. Yeah. Uh, which brings out, that's your sense of humor, that's you as an improviser, that's your sense of humor combined with the other person's sense of humor, and that's probably unique improv as opposed to, you could kind of put any two improvisers into the most generic version mm -hmm. of uh, uh, a common interaction and you're going to see the similar scenes all the yeah. time. You're going to see scenes like guy who is not good at something. Right. Because that's the sort of thing you, you get to from that sort of surface level. Breakup scenes are fun to watch a whole team run through for that same reason of, oh, you get to see so many different versions of breakups. Of like, and when uh, Nicole and Chris would do the breakup at, at The Beast, it was like you'd see that sometimes there's the resigned breakup. We know it's going to happen. Sometimes there's like that very particular, like, we don't want to break up, but we know we have to. There's like all those little nuances that we can like steal from and make it more than just like, we're angry, we're breaking up. I don't see this as much in performance anymore, but in coaching, you still see the, the business meeting group scene where you need to go down the line and see everybody's opinion on something. Yeah. I don't think that's... That's funny. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's just not funny. And it's just like being that last person in that line, like it's, you the know. The worst. 
And it's almost always like, even if you, as that last person in the line, have like a great thing, like comedically, it'll feel like the peak should have come like two people before mm-hmm. you. I think anytime there's a cliche like that, it calls out for a more specific version of that interaction. I think it's probably the cure for cliches. Is yeah. Just get more specific. That was Morgan Phillips. Now here's Jesse Lee. What are some like cliches that you often see in scenes that you're kind of tired of? I personally hate when people do a a boardroom scene and it's always about quarterly numbers because I don't know if anyone has ever had a desk job or an office job. That meeting never happens Uh unless you're like a partner level or like a a VP marketing manager, which I guess what they're trying to do. But like people have day jobs like, you know what these meetings sound like. Don't I don't know. I have. I've never had an office job because uh-huh. I like mostly did like manual labor stuff. And right. so like anytime those those things happen, it's like, I think, are we pulling from the same reality? Did we watch <laughs> just the same episode of Mad Men or right, whatever? Right. Like, yeah. And I think that's also part of it, right? Like when you do a scene that looks like a TV show mm-hmm. or like a cartoon or something or like a, a cliche of what that idea that situation is i'm sure this is a popular one but like craigslist scenes or like Mm -hmm. tinder scenes like i mean i've never tinder dated so i don't maybe it's not fair for me to say but like they're used as a justification for scenes that they shouldn't be um for like weird behavior it's making it normal rather than exploring it right right like it's a justification of like oh this is why these two people are here Mm -hmm. we could have found a deeper reason why these two people chose to be here that accentuates something about them right yeah. It's like if every justification for like, oh, why is this weird thing happening? That guy over there said we should stand together in this room and talk. <laughs> right, so yeah. I guess that justifies it. Yeah, so I guess we'll just do this scene there, yeah. right? Um, I know why they happen. It's just, yeah. there's a f- more fun choice to make. What are some like gaps that you see in scenes? Like little things that people don't do enough of, like the more realistic boardroom scene or anything like that? Uh, just move around. Um, <laughs> yeah, just leave that planted formation of two people talking to each other and like while you're de- or while you're delivering a line go do something right because people rarely just stand still and talk straight ahead right mm-hmm. like they i don't know they people move their bodies yeah. um it's the break room thing yeah where it's right? like yeah you're gonna go you're gonna get a cup you're gonna sit around you're gonna check yeah your phone. and I, I i could do this more definitely myself like it's something that i think about a lot so being able to kind of deliver lines and then also for, don't forget about your body Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I'd like to see more of. That was Jesse Lee. Now here is Kelsey Bailey. Uh, what are some cliches that you feel like you see a lot in improv? I have to be very careful because I do a lot of cliches. Um, what are some cliches that you do? Uh, I've made some things a, Mon- a Montessori school because it was crazy off the bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the times if something's happening that's crazy and maybe not going well, I'll cut and be like, okay, cut, cut on that scene, guys. Classic. So any, yep. Yeah, so... I think I'm being clever, but it's really just kind of like, all right, that's kind of hack. So I guess that's something that I do, but also the cliche that should stop. The Montessori school thing is people lean on that a lot, too. Uh, Which is not necessarily bad. I mean, right. it's, a, it's a reality yeah. we know, and yes. it then takes exactly. away yes. that I'm part. challenging myself to think of another experiential school for future shows sure. that I can make this be about. Oh, this is a homeschool. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Let me think of what else. What are some cliches that jump to your mind? Uh, I mean, lately it's been like Trump's America. Yeah. As like a throwaway justification. A very yeah. smirky throwaway yeah. justification. Trump's, Trump's America. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, all I can think of is just like turn the phrases that I I can't stand. Like yeah. when people are like, who hurt you? I don't yeah. <laughs> I hate that for some reason. Like it, who hurt you? Why don't you like 
Pop-Tarts, who hurt you? It's very much like uh, whichever comedy writer did the like list of these are the phrases we'll never yeah. use in our show. It's, yeah. It is. There are those where it's yeah. like you're making the sounds of being funny and making a joke, but mm-hmm. you're not actually putting the thought into right. doing that and right. really connecting with another person. Right. I, for me, I think one of my cliches is there's an improv tone of voice that mm. bugs me a lot, mm. especially if you watch a bunch of people doing scenes in a row. I feel like a lot of the voice will be, hey, what's going on? Uh, are you doing the, are you, is everything okay? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to drive over there. Like right. it's everything is done very, a yes. little too fast and yes. in the back of the throat because like, we're scared. Nervous. Yes. It's yeah. so weird and so unnatural. Yeah. I also hate, uh, this is just across for like, I hate when people are like, I'm being a girl now. Ooh, yeah. And like, they're not like necessarily annoying girls, but that's yeah. just like the voice that they do. Or like for guys, like if you're playing a guy and they're like, oh, hey, babe. Like, I don't yeah. know. Let's just try a li- to play it a little bit more real. You know, like you can try and like deepen your voice if you're being a guy. Uh, I don't know. How do you yes. signify that you're playing like a guy or something like that? I think just kind of in like the way I'll sit or in the way that I'll spread my legs a lot if I'm a guy. Or I do the exact opposite. Like when I'm playing a woman, I will always cross my legs like closer to yeah. the knee. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. If I'm playing a guy, maybe I'll try and like make my voice a little bit deeper. There's like one like improv voice that I always use. It's like, oh, Hey, I don't know. It's just like kind of like a weird voice that I do. I had someone come up to me once after a show and say that I play characters like very, you can't tell what the gender <laughs> is, which I, I, I kind of took as a compliment. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Who cares? What are some gaps in improv? Like, what are some things? It's like, I wish I saw more of this. I wish I saw people do more and talk less. Mm-hmm. I get so tired just watching two people standing and just talking. And that's just like something that you get probably with time and comfort level but it's just so much fun when you actually like I'm always doing object work even if it's not called for I'll Mm -hmm. always be making myself a cup of coffee or something or like stapling papers or something like that just because I feel weird not doing anything on stage I don't like just standing I mean, if you, you know? were in an actual office just standing there, everybody yeah. would be like, do your fucking job. Yeah, dude. do your job or drink a cup of coffee. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yes. it's just try and make it as realistic and use different spots on the stage also. Yeah. That's, this is just all just like a comfort thing, I think. Mm-hmm. So I can't fault people for learning to feel comfort on stage. I think it also like speaks to a commitment thing too. Mm-hmm. Like if you're more committed, you'll do an object work to really yeah. fill out the scene or you'll use a different spot or you'll be like, oh, we're talking a lot about this horse race let's see the horse race or something like that are there any like little bits of object work that you like to do as far as those kind of like Mm -hmm. side things that aren't the focus of the scene i'll always make myself a drink or i'll always a lot of the times i'll like look through a cabinet depending where i am every group game break room i'm in Mm -hmm. always has a cabinet with mugs in it yeah and i'm always going to that cabinet and i gotta grab that i'm I'm always looking looking for things yeah Uh, if i'm in an office a lot of the times i'll like be at a printer are there like things that are missing that you don't that you know exist in offices, but like people just don't do when they do office scenes? Yeah, I think uh, just like in a conference room, I wish I could see more people like leaning over the same phone. <laughs> right. Because you're always like on a conference line, you're always having to like lean in and like talk over it. Yeah. I like when we're doing when someone's doing an office scene and they stand up to talk to the person because mm-hmm. there's the cubicle walls in dividers. The cubicle. Yeah. Uh, I like that. That makes things feel a lot more real for me. And also, yeah, just like the way people set up an office. A lot of the times I'm like, okay, yeah, let's try and like have some people behind you rather than everyone in like a long, like nine to five 
desk situation. I feel like improv desks are always clean of clutter, too. Mm-hmm. The random crap. Yeah, like, imagine I mean, more crap on your desk. Especially since anytime a character is in a situation that is an extension of him or her, mm-hmm. you can now comment on any of that stuff, mm-hmm. and you're really commenting on that person. Mm-hmm. But still, it's like, yeah, show me what's the out-of-date Dilbert cartoon on their cubicle right. or whatever. Yeah. That was Kelsey. Now here is Jessica Morgan. What are some cliches you are tired of seeing in improv? Mm, Montessori school as a justification for anything. I just gave that note two (laughs) nights ago. Um, And I'll note myself on this whole 30 for a reason for being crazy. Sure. A diet for a reason for being crazy. Um, And then this is a tale as old as time, but come on, guys. Women don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And women don't walk like that. It's okay to just speak like yourself and still be a female character. Wait, women don't shriek at the top of their register and hold their hands over their breasts? <laughs> they don't. They don't. News they don't. to me. Unless it's a choice. Like, I've got some real gross female... But I'm a woman. <laughs> Honestly, I can play that female character how I want, and you can play that male character how you want, but I'm not, I'm not always going to come in as a man and grab my dick. Like, right. I mean, I'm sure I've, like we all get swept up once in a while. I'm giving these notes and I'm grandstanding right now, but I can, uh, there's literally a montage of moments rolling through my brain of when I did exactly what I'm saying not to mm-hmm. do. And it get, feels like a fuck you to men in a way, but it's like, don't do that either. Like, don't do that. Be people. True, real characters, but not all female characters grab their boobs and, and teeter around and not all men are like slugs on the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both the Montessori school and the Whole30, or like a couple of years ago, it was the ad kit. It was like, or yeah, not, a, wh- a while ago. They feel like, like the... Paleo. Yes, paleo. Like, that I'm was crazy. It. Like, I can't, I'm depriving myself, therefore I am crazy. And that's that gives you as much steam as if you justify something because my mom said I should. Exactly. It has no steam. Like, you can't get anywhere on that. If that's the case... Show me the scene with the mom. Yeah. The mom's the fun one. Yeah, she's way better. What are some gaps in improv? What are things that you don't see in improv that you wish were reflected more Real in improv crying. I love to cry on stage. I mean, if you're, I, like, I'm a very much a, a proponent of uh, drop, drop whatever you have outside at the theater door. Like, it doesn't belong in here. But that doesn't mean you can't use it if necessary on stage. I just I like I don't think that you should like grasp for other people's attention if you had a bad day and like demand them to 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 be a part of your emotion but you can still use it on stage. I think people should cry on stage more. If you have access to it, it's so powerful. I also think empathy on stage is really lacking. I think that there should be more empathetic characters. Mm-hmm. Projection is really lacking. <laughs> I can't hear anyone. Yeah. I get made fun of for how hard I project and I don't care. But Not I can hear of, you at any <laughs> Yeah. I can hear you anywhere in that theater. And since most of us don't have an acting background, we don't think of it until mm-hmm. it's told to us constantly. Mm-hmm. Because sure, hitting the back wall is something you can kind of cerebrally understand. I know how to do that, and I think I can physically do that. But understanding that with 150 bodies that absorb sound is a very different thing. It's a skill. Yeah, you got to figure out what that means for you. The way you figure that out is by watching people who don't project and how frustrating it is. And you're like, I must, I must. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm missing. That was Jessica. Now here is Lydia Hensler. 
What are some cliches you're tired of seeing in improv? One thing that bothers me that I know is not done with malice that I say a lot in classes. I try to nip it in the bud like mm-hmm. 101, 201 so that I don't see it in 401. Um, but is when somebody initiates something and their scene partner reacts and they go, oh, I didn't think you were going to react that way. <laughs> or they're just like, oh, I'm surprised you're okay with that. And I that bothers me because it feels... It, feels like they're noting the reaction yes. they're getting. It's improviser talk, not character talk. Yes. Yeah. And I do not think they're meaning to do it or that it is negative or that they are noting. I mm-hmm. think it's literally the improviser didn't expect that reaction. And instead of rolling with it in character, they're just saying out loud they don't know what to do. But it feels like a note to the other person. And it just stops the scene. It's mm-hmm. like you're not doing what you've been doing, what you've been taught to do, which is roll with what they said. It's not a yes and. Yeah. You're not yes anding. You're stopping the scene. And you're kind of making the other person feel bad. And so then they, it's weird because the ping pong match of the scene is now just like halted. Yeah. And it's on the other, it's like the other person's turn to talk basically. And they don't know what to do because they reacted honestly. And then like they have to yes and their self in some way, but yeah. you've told them you don't like how they decided to yes and you. Even if you don't know what to do, just like agree that that's how they feel mm-hmm. and add information, you know, like, or your opinion about it or whatever. And that's just like our writer heads getting in the way. You're like, here's a funny premise. You should contrast it. Oops, you're a peanut pod. Yeah. Or like, oops, you decided this other thing. And I, uh, what now, you know? And then the other thing, I always just tell my students, I'll never edit you on a handshake or a high five. <laughs> like you have to keep making choices beyond that. This is not a uh, save by the bell right, episode. Like right. you can't just be like the end. Like you don't end your scenes like that. You end because the scene could not get any funnier. Yeah. You know, you don't end because you've solved a riddle or something. So, so in 101, if it's your 101 class show, I will black you out sure. on a high five or a handshake. I will never leave you hanging at your class show. But in class, I will tell you I'm not blacking you out and right. make another choice. I love sometimes just making people do peanut pod scenes because yeah. uh, all of a sudden you realize like you have an ally mm-hmm. and you might think that you people might put a lot of pressure on themselves to make the scene work. And then the minute you're like, oh, we're both this way. Everyone's like, it's like really easy breezy and people have so much fun. And you're like, couldn't you like, if you could take that yeah. to uh, a regular uh, dyna- like straight man, crazy man scene, like, you're, you're set. be amazing. Yeah. Um, did you come up with a thing? I, I definitely learned it from you, but just like the exercise of just starting each line with, yeah, 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 yeah. That was clever. Okay. Yeah, totally, totally. Totally, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, I have done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, sometimes it'll lend itself to like Valley Girl speak. Like, <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. And like, and people can't get out yeah. of it. And I want you like, to start every line with, oh my God. Yeah. Just instantly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's also just a dream to watch two people be peas in a pod who are like gruff t- truck drivers being like, totally, totally. Yeah. I, I haven't had roadhead in years or whatever. Like, it's just like very yeah. fun. Um, I don't know why that. And it's more it. real for, it's, it's just more real, right? Yeah. Like truck drivers do agree with each other yeah. and it, like in whichever way. It's, it's that thing too that improv supposed to be like life. Like we mm-hmm. tend to hang out with people that we yeah. like who feel similarly to us. Like I don't seek 
to hang out with like Trump voters and stuff. Yeah, like I'm exactly. not like looking for people who feel totally different than I do. So that was a clever exercise mm-hmm. that I immediately started using yeah. after we did it. Like we did it. It was so cool. And then I was like, I have to do this with every team I coach. This is so fun. Yeah. It, it just instantly, it, it forces a little bit of pee in the pod and yeah. it really just sets people at ease of like, oh yeah, we can do this joyously. Yeah. It, that's the thing. It just took all the pressure off and mm-hmm. I felt like everybody had so much fun. Yeah. I love that exercise so much. I love pee in a pod anything it's a blast what are some uh gaps in improv like what are some parts of reality that we don't tend to draw into improv scenes that you wish you saw more of oh gosh oh boy i don't know this might be weird Mm -hmm. because it almost feels like um this is a pet peeve but it's not i think it might be fun uh like real time stuff with more with real time Mm -hmm. like um something i often i talk about this when i'm teaching walk-ons just of like first do no harm like we might not need you in that scene uh like if somebody's at a restaurant we don't that doesn't mean we have to see a waiter Uh you know anyway i use that example because it's like when you go out to eat if you're out to eat say hour hour and a half you probably see the waiter three four times right Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an improv scene, they're there uh, every two seconds, um, which again, just like walk on thing. Right. It's like if you're there with the, the classic thing is like if you get a walk on in the first 30 seconds, it becomes about the walk on. Yeah. Um, and it's just like good to know that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's wrong. It's just like that's going to be the way the scene probably plays out. So I like the idea of real time, like mm-hmm. seeing like I I would happily watch a scene of a couple at dinner at a restaurant and never see the staff. Yeah. And not even dealing with le- like letting the specifics of the restaurant just be fun, but it, we don't have to like bombard it with uh, that. Um, we don't need the immediate waiter, busboy, waiter coming back with a check, manager, manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I want to see these two people at the Chili's on their anniversary mm-hmm. and who they are and why they're there. So that can be fun. Also, I just I say this a lot for object work too about real time. Uh, like if I'm making a sandwich, if I make a sandwich in life, maybe it might take me like a full five minutes. Yeah. Like if I say I want to toast the bread, say I'm looking for something other than mustard in my fridge because I'm so depressed, uh, like whatever it is, that might take a while um, and certainly a while to then sit down and eat it. We're in improv. We eat it like weird cartoon Muppet monsters. Uh, blah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, wait. Um, and, it, and you make it so fast. And it's just like object work should be this like thing that helps facilitate you facilitate the scene like make it feel more real and when we do our object work really fast first of all if you're nervous or whatever it's like now your hands don't have anything to do because you just made an eight-year sandwich in 30 seconds but it also takes away from reality because you're like whoa what was that you know um so just i think taking your time with that everybody sinks in and it feels really grounded because then if you're making a sandwich in a scene and your scene is two minutes you might never even eat your sandwich right you know or if you're eating a sandwich in a scene you might you're not gonna exactly yeah i think that's really helpful and every part of that gives you more opportunities to possibly progress the game like maybe there's something in making that sandwich where you can now make a great point as you're going yeah or it's just some funny side thing And then you get to go right back to the I game. think environment is really, really helpful. And it's maybe the, like the where is always the thing that mm-hmm. like, you're like, and where are you? Like mm-hmm. the, you get the who, you get the what, you might have game and there might be like, but where are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Uh, and it can serve you so much. As, this is like an aside, but about object work and food. Uh, like grandma's ashes, if you, anytime there's like a stand in a line group game, we're always eating. And I think it's like, it's literally just to break up stage picture. And it's also just yeah. fun. It was like a discovery we made in our first rehearsal where we got very excited about like chips and dip in our first rehearsal ever. And then we were like, oh, now we're always eating. Right. Um, but uh, it's so fun. But it's like very helpful to mm-hmm. like just 
make use of your space in that way because uh, you'll never be stuck in that down the line thing if yeah. somebody leaves the line to go get food mm-hmm. and then you're just like in your space and you're like oh cool well if like um we have a we have like a recurring joke of like somebody brought lemon bar it's always carol brought lemon mm-hmm. bars and uh but like if somebody's going to get a lemon bar it's also something to comment on like yeah. oh these are more tart than i thought uh you know it's just like it opens up the scene you can have an opinion about what you're doing um, and what, every way you're doing that is defining the characters and the relationships yeah. how are you eating the lemon bar how are you commenting on, on yeah. it and just and like uh, when we teach object work in uh, 101, like I'm, I, I'd say a lot, like objects beget other objects. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm brushing my teeth in a scene, like go ahead and imagine that whole bathroom. Yeah. You know, open up that cabinet. Do you, what type of toothpaste do you have? Like, what, it, it's you, we don't ever need to know what type of mm-hmm. toothpaste you have, but it might really help you if you can see it and do it. And then you're in the bathroom and like, did I wash my face? Did I get water everywhere? And I'm like cleaning up the floor with like a towel. Uh, just yeah, like I think. It, Taking real time mm-hmm. and environment is stuff I feel like I would love to see even more of. Yeah. yeah. That was Lydia Hensler. Now here is Liz Noth. What are some cliches that you are tired of seeing in improv or in improv scenes? Oh, gosh. There's some. I feel like I'm going to steal some from people that I... Okay. <laughs> High fives. When people like high five each other in scenes. <laughs> yeah, what is it about high five? Is it just like a quick like? It happens hey, a lot with improvisers, especially early on. Like, there's it never really works on stage. It never feels like in life we really don't high five that much, right? Yeah. Oh, a big one for me, just like group games of vapid women who are like getting ready for a date right. or something. Right. It makes me crazy. I mean, they're just all the time. It's like this weird like valley girl trope that we have, which yeah. is like it's. There's a time and a place for a scene like that. Sure. I think that's also that's a trope that's it's such a nineties trope. Like, why are we still doing that scene? <laughs> it's so true. I don't know why. Yeah, it's still like a bring it on scene like 10, <laughs> right. 15 years later. Yeah, that makes me crazy. What are some gaps in improv? Things that you don't see enough of in improv that you wish you saw more of? I think I wish that more teams that I watched did like genre work. Mm-hmm. It's sort of lacking uh, a little bit that people are like sort of expected to be well-versed in genre. Um, And I think that for myself as well. I just, I want to see more scenes where the base reality is like a very specific reality Mm -hmm. that's not ours. I love that stuff because it makes the unusual thing just pop so quickly. Because we know it. It's like, we know what Die Hard is or what Jurassic Park is or what Family Matters or something is. It's like when it switches, a Family Matters improv scene would be very strange. (laughs) Any comedy improv. But whatever it would be, like, we see that kind of pop. That, yeah, it's a strange, it's strange that we don't see that tool used way more often. I know. And you see it in Sketch and you see it in, like, Spanx at the theater for sure. So I know there's a lot of people in this community and there's a lot of improvisers who are really good at that stuff. But but for some reason, it's mm-hmm. like maybe it's seen as like too dramatic or too like, right. I don't know why people don't do it, but I, I wish they would do more of it. That was Liz. Now here's Lou Gonzalez. People are so uncomfortable with having actual drama in an improv scene because they're afraid because people aren't laughing that they're not doing a good job. And that's not true. Like when also silence like there need I want more silent scenes. I don't see that enough. It's a joy to do. And though and and those two concepts I got from classes. Mm-hmm. 
the just because someone's not responding doesn't mean it's not funny was I got from the scramble because people didn't know what was happening. There's a lot of moving parts in the scramble. So when you have two different scenes happening you have two at the different same scenes, time. And, and we're, we don't tell the audience that they're seeing that. We just do it to them. And so they're like, okay. And so the first one, they're confused and they're still mulling it over. Sure, it's kind of funny, but they're still mulling it over. And they're not laughing as hard because they're still trying to figure out what the fuck's happening. Second scene happens, they're like, okay. And they never really got it until the second set. Mm-hmm. And, I was, oh, and uh, when I performed in that first set, it was, t- you You were like, oh, I got to do something. And it's like, no, you just have to double down. I think a lot of people are afraid of doubling down on something and believing in the process, especially at that stage. I think most, most improvisers don't trust the process. They trust their ability to make people laugh the, you know, at a certain level. They're like, oh, I know what makes people laugh. I'm not going to trust in the process. I'm going to break away. I'm going to do something. And then they undercut the scene, and then they wonder why the scene didn't maintain the high when they made a certain move. It's tricky. Yeah. It's a trick. It's a hard thing. Yeah. So those would be two things. Cliches. Ugh. I, uh, I don't know. I don't mind cliches. I, I, don't mind, I don't mind having an expectation as long as you find a way to present it in an interesting way or subvert it or you know like i think improv is very much an art form that is driven by expectation you know there's an expectation of what x y and z is we are performing to the tropes of that and where you find things delineate and break away those are opportunities to play a game and i don't mind the same things happening over and over again because no one's special that was lou now here is devin ritchie what are some cliches that you are tired of seeing in improv scenes? Digging? Yeah. I, I do an exercise where I need, I'm like, do some space object work that everybody can like do. And I'm like, not digging. <laughs> it's like, no digging. Every time that there is like a scene where like six people are digging a yeah. hole, I'm like, this is already outside of the world of base reality. When would this ever happen? Right. And they're suddenly burying a body and there's six of them with shovels. Yeah. I'm like, when's the last time any one of you dug a hole? Get out of here. No digging scenes. It is, it's like... I've said this so much that people start, like, texting me when they see that. (laughs) That's great. Because, yeah, it is, it's, we do it because we've seen it in pop culture, and it's us regurgitating that, but, like, I I did, like, a bunch of, like, more, like, manual labor stuff, and, like, it wasn't a bunch of people digging into one hole. It was like, hey, let's put up this wall. Hey, let's lay Mm -hmm. cinder block here. Yeah. Nobody ever does that. No. No. Nobody's ever putting up drywall. No, please put up drywall in a scene. Also, oh, you know what another big one for me is? People painting a baby's room and deciding what color it needs to be. Yeah. Oh boy, do I not care. And this scene <laughs> right. is about nothing. And this is not how anybody decides this. And we just end up having a conversation about like gender identity. Right. And I've just seen it a hundred times for some reason. I'm like, why is this yeah. popular right now? Which, yeah. Who decides paint color when they are painting? Hey. Yeah. Hey, it's here. Yeah. Well, which one do you want to use? I'm yeah. like, this is stupid. All of my stuff when I was a when I was a baby was yellow because my parents didn't know. So they were just like, it's all going to be yellow. I was yellow too. Yeah. My, I was boy-girl twins before me. And oh, okay. then I'm the third one. So I'm yellow. Any other cliches that... Like little habits I've been seeing a lot is like talking about the chip card versus swipe in yeah. a transaction scene. I'm just like, huh. And it will usually get a laugh. I'm just sure. kind of like, not here for it. It's this year's like Tinder or something like that, yes. where it's like, hey, it's new to us, so we're still um, talking about it. Something that really, I swear to God, only exists in improv and not the real world is speed dating. Yes. It's like, 
it's a, like a second beat thing for some reason. Everyone's like, and it is funny, and I've seen it and I've laughed at it. But it's just like to the point where I'm like, I just don't think this happens nearly as much as we think it does. Yeah. For normal people to go to and like ding for a minute. Exactly. Certain th- scenes like that that are just like outside of the base reality. I'm like, okay, they feel a little like first answer, you know, yeah. that like we could really find something more uh, appropriate to yeah. put this. What about gaps in improv? What are some things that you wish you saw a lot more of? I mean, one of the things, and I'm a little biased here, but like I love people playing gay characters who are gay characters, mm-hmm. you know, like then that's just fine. And just like normal people being like, no, this is my girlfriend. People being like, Bleh. and like we right. do get like hung up on names and stuff, and being like, oh, sorry, uh, Deborah, Susan. I'm like, don't start double yeah, naming yeah, them. Yeah. It's just like, just whatever. Oh, I know you got a hiccup with the name. Just move on. Just pick one of them yeah. and move on. And and somebody and there's a lot of like weird gender stuff with like, oh, my husband whose name is Deborah, right. and like, and they'll be like, what this? I'm like, do not just let that like just let it go. Yeah. So I'm gonna say some stuff here. This is so people like really to play from a baseline reality that is this like leave it to beaver world mm-hmm. where like the mom's cooking dinner and like whisking in a bowl and the dad comes home from work and their kids like you know captain of football team and white picket fence and stuff like we don't exactly do that but anything I think we're asking people to start from like a baseline world reality and that's where they start. Yes. And so anything outside of that is like but what? And that's it is why I'm more like, likely if I say like oh. Oh, Mike, my boyfriend, that I'm then going to be assumed that I'm playing a woman rather than playing yeah. a gay man, where that has nothing to do either way with what the game is or is Actually, yeah. And I'm like, you will be assumed to be a woman if you had said, like, your boyfriend's coming. Yeah. Because we're playing, I mean, everybody here is, like, forward-thinking people, uh, and then suddenly we get to improv, we're like, but a boy and a boy! And I just want, like, us to bring a little more of, like, yeah, you can play gay people, and you can play weird-jobbed people, and you can play, like, people of different statuses and intellects, and that not be the weird thing about them. Right. So that's one thing I really try to do. Um, it's just like, and I think like the, the jam is actually so gay right now. And we've got a bunch of gay people like like running the uh, traffic jam, right? And so like we do that stuff a lot, yeah. you know. Where like you know me and like Morgan like aggressively like you know play that, right? Also like when there's like a man playing a woman in like a very feminine voice, and he's just like. I want to go and like playing this. And I'm like, I almost always, and I fuck with them and I labeled them just like as I'm like, well, gentlemen, well, you guys can't. And they're just like, right. what? No, I'm th-. I'm like, no, you're, you're using a gay voice and right. you've not established your woman. So I'm just going to fuck with you and make you a gay voice. Cause it's kind of what you're doing. Yeah. Not that men shouldn't play women and they can't like affect some of that. Yeah. But I'm like, when it's over the top, I like to be like, okay. You're just doing a gay thing right. now. What are what are those things that you want to see more of in improv? The gaps in improv, the the bits of reality right. that we just ignore. So um, I really like playing with size and scope, and so like uh, one of the things I really love doing is like playing forward walking scenes. Okay, yeah. And I'm like walking, and people can be like trees as they're walking by, or like somebody else is walking by, and like it's just a West Wing cameras on me, and we're yeah. walking, and things are changing because like. I am having conversations when I'm walking. Yeah. Not all scenes are just like two roommates turned three quarters out like in their kitchen, I guess. Right. Um, you know, like like make the stage look a little interesting. Stand somewhere interesting. Do something physical. But like I swear to God, sometimes I do that walking forward thing and people are like, You on that treadmill. I'm like, Okay. Okay, and then um, then I guess we're doing that. Yeah. But like I just want to be able to like play with the like 
the physicality of it, yeah. you know, and like when somebody's drawing something, we could see like the person drawing it and the the, the and then the drawing happening to yeah. it, or like somebody like picks like something up from them. We see in a microscope and we can play what's in the microscope, right? And somebody like p- picks tweezers out of it and like we play the tweezers picking something out of it, you know. Like I like playing those little and big things, yeah. But like oftentimes they get called out as being like, but you're right here, you right. know. Have you ever done the macro scene? Uh, so like we were talking about two different locations. Yeah, I uh, know that it's one location, but you, there's no edits, you move from place to place. So it's a lot of walking. Oh, edits. I see, yeah, 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 I've done that. I love that. Let's just like go from here to here to here to here. You know, anything that like, makes your improv just a touch a little more like real life or yeah. more cinematic, I'm all about that, you know? And I'm like, I have real conversations when I'm like getting up and walking, you know? Yeah. And I'm trying to play places that I go to and I'm not just like full on like, well, here we are at the gap folding clothes where I'm going to have this, like, I'm going to tell you something important about myself. I'm like, that would never happen to me. Right. So I'm just trying to like pl- play, A, keep my improv more physical, you know, like, let's go make a weird stage picture for this show, you know, for mm-hmm. this, like, like, that is a way, that's like a rubric that you grade teams on. Yeah. Is like, did, was it interesting to look yes. at? And I, it's a big thing for me. And so I, I really try to get groups, like, physically doing stuff and, like, doing kind of a ninja herald where we're playing all of the objects and stuff. And I certainly don't need you to play a door and a table all the time. Sure. But, like, just a touch of that. I'm and like, knowing that that's available when it's going to accentuate something about the yeah. scene. And don't make it the weird thing. I try not to play animals as much because mm-hmm. I find that the game is like, well, look at that grown man playing an animal. Yeah. And it's the only moment I ever think about how much money I've spent on improv. <laughs> it's not like rolling around on a Saturday afternoon being like, meow, meow, I'm a cat. Oh, I'm a sad, Red. sad person who spent so much money doing this. I find that that usually becomes a game. But I like playing all of the objects, making the scene look good. Like, yeah. make this look awesome. And that's something I take to my coaching. And I'm like, support this. Make this look awesome. Right. Like, l- come out here and make that shooting star look cool or like make this car what if we did that a little bit just a little bit um, and it's so dispiriting when one person starts being the shooting star and everybody doesn't like honor that and jump in yeah that's what i'm saying about like no judgment in what you do just support it make it look cool and make it true yeah that's it that was devin ritchie now here is lily do i don't like seeing nagging wives i feel like that is self-explanatory. I feel bad because I think some of these cliches are shortcuts because they're all that we see in improv. Mm -hmm. And then when we're pressured to do a second beat, that's all our brain can jump to. So I don't know about scene specific, but I will say, I remember watching Harold and I last year, and I was like, my idea for the second beat of this is exactly where everyone is setting their second beat which says to me that we're not pushing hard enough in our second beats. We're falling back on cliches. And I still do because like, and I'm trying to be better about it, but in second beats, it's because you're trying to watch the set. You haven't had too much time to think about it. You're, You're on the spot. And you just have to go. So you go off of like what you've done before, what works. But mm-hmm. it's like, if the first scene is a date, the second scene is a wedding. Right. If the first scene's at the office, the second scene's at the boardroom meeting. That bores me, but I also am victim to it. I guess I don't like rug pulling. I don't know if that's a cliche. These yeah. are more bad habits. Uh, you always get a laugh if you kind of say no to something and it's fun, but it just becomes like a bad ingrained habit that kind of, I think like 
chips away at the set. And I think the more you're used to doing very short sets and short scenes, the more ingrained in rug pulling you can get. Mm -hmm. Because that'll work. If you're only doing three-line scenes, rug pulling will always get that laugh in the second line. If you're only doing jams, if you're only doing I'm out for one scene, you can get used to that. Yeah, absolutely. Bad habits. I feel like a game I see all the time is just like, what if old people were really horny? Honestly... I love that game. <laughs> That's a cliche. Yeah. I'm behind. I think almost any game of what if ec- what if blank were horny, I'm yeah. almost always okay with yeah. that. Yeah. But especially old people, that really weirds people out. They're like, yeah. "That's so weird. If a woman in a nursing home were horny, wild." Right. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm a laugh." Yeah. What are some gaps in improv? What are some things that you wish you saw more of? I really like it when you can see someone pulling from their real knowledge. Yeah. But I feel like a good improviser can do that pretty well. And I see it happen. Yeah, I, I, I think um, sacrificing funny for a bit to try to build a better, more beautiful show. Yeah. Patience. I guess I don't see that much patience anymore, especially because there's so many like montages and jams and short shows. But yeah, like part of it's been so long since I've seen like John and Scott or Two Square. Mm-hmm. But I remember like in one like the first scene took forever. Yeah. It was just like someone making a sandwich and like yelling at their mother. If you are patient, there can be such a payoff. But I think that is such an exercise in self-control because also everyone wants to get in there. Everyone wants to make a move. And yeah, I think, yeah, we play very fast. Yeah. That was Lily Dew. Now here's Jonas Gravis. What are some cliches that you are tired of seeing in improv? Uh, Well, I was just coaching some college students. So Johnson, the name Johnson. I hate when people don't have stuff that they need. I hate when people don't have like a wrench or their right. glasses or their bag. Like just have it. That that feels like a cliche to me to, yeah. to not have the thing that you need. And that's literally where yes and started was yeah. that argument with Dell and somebody else of like, just say yes, here's the wrench yes. and that. Right. Because we are used to watching plotted drama. Mm-hmm. You're looking for conflict and it feels like the fastest, easiest way to finding something interesting in your scene is to create a problem because that's true of most other art forms. But the problem, uh, you know, the problem in an episode of Friends is never like Rachel doesn't have her purse right. to, to leave for the theater. Right. Like it's always something much more character driven. Yeah. So don't reach for the simplest problem. Like let a problem present itself because you've worked your way into that through your character choices, you know, and then, it, then it's going to be an interesting conflict to watch yeah play out what are some gaps in improv what are some things that you don't see enough of that you wish you saw more of magic yeah would love to see more that's why i'm doing a class on it i'd love to see a little more listening on and kind of respect on stage for people like i don't think anyone should be a cautious player by any means i think be bold and like get out there and make choices but you also I almost want everybody on every team to be extremely sensitive to the smallest things. So that really little choice that your teammate made to be conscious of it, not emotional sensitivities, you know, but like, oh, I see what you're going for there. And I'm, I'm tired of the cliche of um, not committing to scenes. And I'm guilty of it, too. It's fun to talk about all this, by the way, but I am like, I, you know, it's easy to talk about, yeah. way harder to do. Yeah. But 
the people that I watch that are always committed, I'm just floored by, and I enjoy their performance whether or not they're in a successful or comedic scene. So I think I would like people to just commit more and not make jokes at the expense of the scene. That was Jana. Now here's Lindsay Calloran. What are some cliches that you feel like you see a lot in improv scenes? Interesting. Okay. When I think cliche, I think like something that happens all the time that's like not serving your scene. Like I do think there are cliches of base realities that actually can be really helpful because all because I am just fucking desperate for anybody to believe me when I tell them that a base reality is important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like when you work with students and I'm like, I fucking promise you just start from a place that is grounded and makes sense to you and you will you're you will be set free. Like I really sometimes like feel like I'm that's what I'm telling people um, because they just still want to initiate by saying like my tooth just came out my asshole and I'm like I promise you if you just set up a base reality that makes sense Uh, and I totally get why they're doing that because they just want to be funny and they're scared they won't be funny but I'm like if you just trust that if you start grounded something will happen uh stuff that happens all the time is like when people they're in a base reality but they're speaking to each other like people never would speak to each other where it's like um mom I'm so glad that we decided to go to Disney World I know honey here we're at Disney World is your favorite place and I knew that we would be here and it's just very like you would never speak to your mom like that but they're doing it to try to pack in information yes. in an artificial way. Yeah, I guess so. I guess they're like trying to pack in information, but I do think something really opens up for you as an improviser when you realize that that is not helpful. Um, once you realize that the trick is to speak like real people and not like pawns that are like labeled mom and daughter. It's, right. like, it's like here we are two little plastic pieces labeled mom and daughter and, and now we've set it up and we know we're mom and daughter. No, but like what if you just really act like a mom and a daughter and people know how to do that because they live a life. So they know how to do that. They just have to realize that that's what it is, that it's actually being there and behaving like you would in real life, not just being a Barbie doll. So that's and I find it's really people really love it when you call them out for that and make fun of them because yeah. um, they're like oh right it is crazy or yeah. I try to call that out when I see it and usually students find they're happy you call yeah. it out I was once in a class where Anthony King mentioned like somebody had done the like this is going to be the best party ever and Anthony was like wait 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 <laughs> first off has anybody ever said that before a party <laughs> and now I want you to think about the person who would actually before a party go this is going to be the best party ever show me that right because it's unusual it's weird and P you don't realize that you're behaving unusually like that's the same thing with the mom and daughter going to Disney World it's like no mom and daughter has ever talked like that so if you are going to do the scene where you talk like that if then what what else yes. because you're you're already doing something unusual, you know, and people don't realize that. That was Lindsay. Now, here is Sebastian Canelli. What do you wish you saw more of in improv? Playfulness. I want to see people, like, injecting their own fun. I want to yell at people for being too silly. I don't get to do that often. Yeah, the balance is so far in the other direction of... of so far. And what you said about their playfulness, I think, is also yeah. very important. Because people are often being fun not in the way that they think they should be, yeah. rather than in what they see as. Yeah, what do you find funny? And we always are learning, like, you do this a lot, so why don't you try doing this? Great. And so I feel like all of a sudden when, you, when you're like, oh, you straight, you're like the voice of reason a lot, so like... Why don't you try to be the more unusual character? And then as soon as that person is the voice of reason, they are kind of half do it because they're like, I know I shouldn't be doing it. No, do it 100%. If that's what you find fun, do that. And I, I promise you, the audience sees that. They're able to feed off of that. I want more people leaning into what they enjoy. I think it's so obvious to the audience 
and to the people on stage. Because when you, even if you like getting angry, there's joy. You could feel the intense and joy behind that, that someone's having fun. I think then the fun's contagious until everyone's having fun. But it's such a common note to be given by coaches and teachers of, I see you do A, why don't you do B instead? Which is good. Everybody should be able to do A and B very well. It's an easy note. There's also something to, you do A very well, I want to see you do it amazingly. Yeah. And also, okay, get great at B. Of course. But don't feel bad at yourself for being good at the other thing. Because I feel like when people ask for notes, it's usually, you're good at this, but you could get better at this. Great. But still be good at the other thing. I feel like there was a moment where it clicked for me, like, have fun, be silly. Nobody watches the Marx Brothers to like, I hope Groucho does the stuff that Harpo normally does. Uh No, we want to see Harpo do like physical comedy. Yeah. Let him do all that stuff. Yeah. And it's hard, but I do wish I was noting people more, reining them in more. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone's very controlled. And that's okay. I just want to get back to that place of why we came, why people came into this. Right? And I don't know, maybe it's different for me because I wasn't like the biggest comedy nerd coming into this. I came into this because I found joy in being, in being silly. So maybe not everyone finds joy in, in the being silly, but that's hard for me to believe. I'm fighting myself. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know. It's, I could only speak from my perspective. So yeah. it's like difficult to like speak on this, why people come here to do this. But I have to imagine most people come to these to one-on-one because they think they're funny in -hmm. certain ways. Somewhere in them, there's they see other things and say, that's weird, or this is something I'm doing that's weird, and Uh want to get that release Yeah, of pointing out that it's weird and doing that weird thing more. Tap back into that. Let go of the rules a little bit more. I think everyone's very rule-oriented right now on the nights. That's good. (laughs) Also, you know? Yeah. I, my pendulum, I think, is swinging. I think I focus so hard on rules for so long that I'm like, want to make sure that the joy is in there. Because right now, I do improv for fun. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot less stress for me for improv. And so I, if I had fun, that's like my measure of if the show was funny. Mm-hmm. If I got, and usually it's like me getting that, like, that fix or that, that like feeling from the show. And usually that like is directly related to me feeling free and sharing my joy and my silliness and my being open on stage. And I want to do that. And it's hard. I don't know how to draw that out of people yet. Mm-hmm. I said yet because that's something I'm thinking about. Yeah. I don't know how. And maybe I figure it out. And maybe I don't. <laughs> and that was Sebastian Canelli. In college, I was once at a talk given by an author of fantasy and speculative fiction novels, and she mentioned that there are basically 10 stories that any writer, especially a writer in the sci-fi speculative fiction world, must write and then move on from. Stories like, what if aliens invade Earth, but they're actually the good guys? Like, kind of just standard sci-fi tropes and cliches. You have to excise yourself of the cliches of any art by working through them and then moving on. And the same is true of improv. We've all done, or will do, many of the cliches mentioned in this episode. Sometimes that's part of learning how to get better as an improviser. You do the basic version of the scene, and then the next time you're doing a scene like that, you realize, oh, I've done this before. And then you start to push against the cliches. And you do a scene that's closer to what you find funny, something closer to your unique sense of humor. Other times, we rely on cliches because we're lazy. 
We don't want to bother to think of a better name, so we just say yet another weird J name that pops into our head. So everyone in a scene is named John Jackson or some bullshit. Rather than using a variation on a real name that we know or remember from first grade or something. Keep pushing yourself to be more specific and keep looking at the world around you to see what are some things that we've all seen that isn't represented in an improv scene. Finally, extra thanks on this episode to Alejandro Cardona, who did a lot of the work listening to these clips, organizing them, and cleaning them up. Without his production help, this episode wouldn't exist. So thanks again, Alejandro. You are an absolute lifesaver. That was episode 19, Clichés and Gaps. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, and if you have any feedback for me, please send it to improv at curtisrutherford.com. Also, if you want to support me and help me pay for the hosting costs of this podcast, you can do so via my Patreon, patreon.com slash actuallycurtis. Thanks so much to everyone who has already done so, and thanks to everyone who is part of this episode. Achilles Stamatolaki. Will Hines. I'm Jenny Sanangelo. Kevin Mullaney. Kevin Hines. Bill DePiro. Molly Thomas. Morgan Phillips. Jesse Lee. Kelsey Bailey. Jessica Morgan. Lydia Hensler. Liz Noth. Lou Gonzalez. Devin Ritchie. Lily Dew. John Escrabis. Lindsay Calloran. Sebastian Canelli. Alejandro Cardona. And I'm Curtis Rutherford. <laughs>